0: And we'll be focusing the e- this evening on Isaiah 35, verses 8 through 10. But I'll just go ahead and read uh, the entire chapter uh, of Isaiah, chapter 35. So listen now to the reading of God's holy word <clears throat> The wilderness and the wasteland shall be glad for them, and the desert shall rejoice and blossom as the rose. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice, even with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it, the excellence of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the excellency of our God. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who are fearful hearted Be strong, do not fear. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. And the lame shall leap like a deer, and the tongue of the dumb sing. For waters shall burst forth in the wilderness, and streams in the desert. The parched ground shall become a pool, and the thirsty land springs of water. And the habitation of jackals where each lay. There shall be grass with reeds and rushes. A highway shall be there, and a road, and it shall be called the highway of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it, but it shall be for others. Whoever walks the road, although a fool, shall not go astray. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast go up on it. It shall not be found there. But the redeemed shall walk there, and the ransomed of the Lord shall return, and come to Zion with singing, with everlasting joy on their heads, they shall obtain joy and gladness, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Let's seek the Lord's blessing on this, His holy word. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, we again praise you and thank you for The honor and the privilege that we have to enter into your presence and to study your word. We thank you for this passage. We ask that your spirit would lead us and guide us, giving us understanding. And that truly as your word goes forth in the power of the spirit, we pray that it would find within each of our hearts that rich and fertile soil which will bring about a great and abundant fruit for your glory. And so we pray for your blessing now upon your holy word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As Christians, we know that we have a sure and certain future. We know that we are like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that we're sojourners and aliens in a foreign land. But we cling to the promise that God will one day lead us to and give us the promised land. A heavenly home where there's no sin, no suffering, not even the shedding of tears. And what's more, it's a place where we're perfected according to the image of Jesus Christ. For this, we're thankful. And we look forward with great anticipation. But we can also thank God that even before we get to that place, that God is is even now preparing us and He's leading us to that end. And as God hasn't left us to walk aimlessly around in our sojourning of this, in this life but with purpose and intent He's revealed to us the way that we should walk and that way is the way of holiness this evening as we continue our communion series on back to the basics of the Christian life we'll consider this <clears throat> great truth that a holy God through His Holy One, enables us to walk on the way of holiness. And at the end of this journey, we find the fulfillment of God's blessed covenant promise. Deliverance, perfection, and an eternal home in the glorious presence of our Savior and King. And so first we want to consider a holy God. But even before we get to, to that, we have to ask the question, what is holiness? Now both the, the Hebrew and the Greek words for holiness literally mean apartness and, and uh, sacredness. And so to be holy is to be set apart, pure, undefiled, sinless, and upright. To be holy is to be separated from sin and wickedness. And set apart for purity and uprightness. Holiness is therefore one of God's glorious attributes. A characteristic that He has revealed about Himself. God is holy. He's pure, undefiled from sin and evil. And and God is even set apart from all others. We know that God is truly set apart from all of creation. Not only because He is holy... But also because he is the one true living God, who is the creator of all things. His very being, uh, uh, God, implies that he is set apart, and he's holy. He's set apart from us, the creature. Moses sings in in uh, uh, Exodus fifteen, "Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, and doing wonders?" And likewise, uh, the heavenly host uh, sings in Revelation 15, Who shall not fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. For all nations shall come and worship before you, for your judgments have been manifested. See, if God weren't perfectly holy, then He wouldn't be God. It's an essential attribute of God. Also note that God is holy, not just in that He's set apart, but also in the sense of purity and, and uprightness. God is holy and He hates sin. Think about the, uh, the vision that Isaiah saw of, of God's glory back in Isaiah 6 verse 3. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. And that triple holy is for emphasis that God is most holy. He's most pure. He is perfectly spotless. John says in 1 John 1 God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all, not even the slightest shade of darkness. God is pure light. God is holy. In fact, He's absolutely holy again it's it's essential to his very his very being the westminster shorter catechism a question and answer number 4 says this what is god and the answer is god is a spirit infinite eternal and unchangeable in his being wisdom power holiness justice goodness and truth and so god is infinitely eternally and unchangeably holy as we consider the holiness of God as his attribute, well then what does that mean for us? At least what does it mean for us in a practical sense? Well, there are three things a practical application as to how the holiness of God benefits and blesses us. First, it gives us confidence and comfort that God will always do what is right. God's perfect holiness means that whatever God does is pure, upright, and just. He doesn't waver between right and wrong, as we so often do. God is never caught in an ethical dilemma. He never has to choose between the lesser of two evils. Because of the judge of all the earth, the Holy One will always do what's right. And we're assured that there's never any evil intent in what He accomplishes. We have the confidence that God doesn't tempt us, nor does He allow us to be tempted beyond what we can handle. He always provides a way out. We also have the comfort in knowing that good will even come out of the most challenging and disastrous situations for those who love Him and who have been called according to His purpose. God's holiness gives us great confidence and comfort. But God's holiness also requires that His creation acknowledge that holiness. And so for example, when Moses drew near to the burning bush in Exodus 3, the Lord said, "Do not draw near this place, take your sandals off your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground." Now why was the ground holy? Not because it was a special place? But it was holy only because the presence of God was there. In fact, there's great danger in defiling and disregarding and not acknowledging the holiness of God. And here we're reminded of Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, who were... uh, after moses uh, gave very uh, the lord gave moses and he passed on to to aaron and his sons very specific instructions about how the, he is to be worshipped with well, then nadab and abihu who offered profane that is unholy fire to the lord and they were struck dead immediately and in response moses reminded aaron in Le- leviticus 10 verse 3 this is what the Lord spake, saying, By those who come near me, I must be regarded as holy. And before all peop- all the people, I must be glorified. So God certainly takes His holiness seriously. And if He takes it seriously, well then so should we. Throughout Scripture, when people recognize that they're in the presence of God and His holiness, can you... What's the common response? They always fall down on their faces in worship and reverence, and they tremble with fear because of the sight of the holy presence of God. And so God's holiness requires acknowledgement and reverence. But thirdly, because God is holy, He then also requires all His moral creatures to be holy, both angels and also mankind. Peter says in 1 Peter 1, As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts, as in your ignorance, but as He who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. God requires that we be as He is. We were created in His image, and that image included holiness. And that was lost and corrupted with Adam's sin. But God still requires us to be holy. To be separated from sin and wickedness. And to be set apart to God, who is absolutely holy. And in Isaiah 35, in our passage, we see that God is promising His people... That after a period of exile, that they will come back to Zion. They will come back to the holy city where the holy God dwells. And previously, of course, God through Isaiah revealed the impending judgments to come upon the nations of the earth and also upon Israel, because the Jews were being exiled because of their wickedness and idolatry. They were not holy. They were on the highway to hell toward destruction. So God drove them out to the promised land to judge them. But now in chapter 35, the Lord promises that they'll return on a new and and a different road. The highway to holiness. It's a safe way and it's a way for the redeemed and ransomed of God. But how will they get to this highway which God has provided for them? They must become holy. Holy. They must separate themselves from sin and idolatry and be set apart for God's use. Beloved of God, what He required of Israel here in Isaiah 35, so He also requires of us, if we too are to walk on this highway. But how is this accomplished? Especially since we've fallen into sin. And our sinful hearts are only evil continually. How do we fulfill the command to be holy? Can a dead tree bear good fruit? Obviously achieving holiness and fulfilling this command is something that we can't do on our own. We need help from God Himself. And so the holy God, the holy Lord, and from His chosen one, God is holy, and He's provided us a highway of holiness. But if we can't get to the highway, then it's useless to us. And so not only has God provided us with the road that we're to take, but He's also provided us us with the way to get there. And that way is the Holy One of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus as the Son of God is also holy as God is holy. The the demon-possessed man in the synagogue early on in Jesus' ministry, he shouted out uh, uh, Christ's true identity right there in the midst of the synagogue. Mark 1. What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. This is startling. Because those who should have known who should have seen the divine holiness, the teachers of the law, the scribes and the Pharisees, they couldn't see it because of the hardness of their hearts. And so they rejected Him. And yet here we see that even the demons discerned that His divine holiness and they acknowledged it. And they trembled in fear as they stood in His presence. As the Holy One of God. What Jesus accomplishes as our mediator. Allows us to walk on the highway of holiness. The highway of holiness is only for the redeemed and the ransomed of God. It's it's not for the unclean. That is for those who aren't holy. It's not for the one who remains dead in their sins and transgressions. But it is for those who have been made alive in Christ. It's not a highway for fools who profess in their hearts that there is no God. But it is for those who believe in their hearts and confess with their mouths that Jesus Christ is the Lord. The highway of holiness is for those who've been bought with a price. With the price of the shed blood of Christ on the cross. Walking on the highway to hell, which we all were walking on when we were outside of Christ. Because we all have sinned and we all fall short of the glory and the holiness of God. And so as we walk on this highway headed for destruction, by God's grace we we look and we see that there's another way. Yet there seems to be this insurmountable gulf that separates us from where we are, from where we want to to now go, to the highway of holiness. Friends, it's the cross of Christ that provides the bridge for that deep and wide chasm to be closed. In the Christian classic, Pilgrim's Progress, a pilgrim, of course, sets out on, or a Christian, Christian sets, he's the pilgrim, Christian. He sets out on a journey for the celestial city. And as he begins, he searches for and he finds the narrow gate. Because he knows that it's only through the narrow gate that anyone will get to heaven. Not the one who tried to climb over the wall. But he must go through the narrow gate, which is Christ. And so if we're to be holy and to walk on the way of holiness, to get to the holy city of Zion where we find eternal joy and gladness in the presence of the holy God, we must trust in Christ Jesus as our Savior. We must walk through the narrow gate who is Christ Himself. Only Christ can make us holy. We can't do it ourselves. Being holy and perfect without sin, Christ paid the penalty for our sin. On the cross, He suffered and died so that we could reach that safe and pure way of holiness. And when we come to faith in Christ Jesus and and trust in Him alone for salvation, we're made holy. We're made holy before God because of what Christ has done on our behalf. But you see, our holiness is not our own. It's Christ's holiness. We're wrapped in His holy and righteous robes. And thus we're able to then come boldly before the throne of grace and we can stand in the presence of a holy God, blameless, undefiled, and without shame, even as we do when we gather together here for worship each Lord's Day. This holiness that we receive when we come to faith in Christ Jesus is in theological terms Called definitive sanctification where sanctification of course is is to make something holy to to set it apart and the definitive part is that it happens at a certain point in time that we're made holy at the definitive point of our conversion and our salvation in Christ and so this is why we we see the Apostle Paul addressing his letters to the saints saints are holy ones We're called saints because we've been made holy by the work of Christ, applied to us by grace through faith. We are, as Peter says in 1 Peter 2 verse 9, a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people. And we'll note here also that that we're not alone on this way of holiness. That all who call upon the name of the Lord in faith, will be on that road. But again, Paul says in 1 Corinthians one to the Church of God which is at Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, with all who in every place call in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, both theirs and ours. And so here we see that we are sanctified, that is, we're made holy upon our conversion, Because of what Christ has done. But at the same time. We are called to be saints. So we're saints. But we're also called to be saints. We're holy. We're called to be holy. See we're saints. And holy ones. But we're not perfectly holy. As God is holy. We stand clothed in the righteous robes of Jesus Christ and are the holy ones in God's sight. Yet we aren't perfectly pure and clean because there remains in us a remnant of the sin nature of Adam. What scripture calls the flesh. Hence though so we come to faith in Christ Jesus and are cleansed and are cleansed from sin and are holy and precious in God's sight, well, we still sin. We still fall prey to the temptation of the flesh and therefore we must strive, we must fight, we must war within ourselves to be holy. Even as the Apostle Paul describes in Romans chapter 7, that inner struggle and battle. And again in Isaiah 35 verse 8, we see no unclean person will travel on the pathway of holiness. So how then are we to keep our feet on the path? How can we be assured of of not stumbling and straying off the way? How can we strive to be holy? Again, we must look to Christ. Because a holy God, through His Holy One, enables us to walk on the way of holiness. Jesus is the one who brings us to the way of holiness. Again, because of what He accomplished on the cross and that when we believe in Him and, and trust in Him for our salvation, He sets our feet on the path. He also calls us to stay on the path. And He enables us to walk on the way of holiness. We're enabled to walk because Christ has conquered sin in our lives. When we come to Christ in faith, the old man of our sin nature is crucified with Christ and is put to death, which means sin no longer has dominion in our lives. But God's grace through faith in Christ were called in Ephesians 4 to to put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. And so that when we sin as saints, as holy ones, we're actually choosing to do so. It's a willful departure from God's way of holiness. We don't sin because we have no control and can't help ourselves. That's a lie. If we're in Christ, then sin no longer has dominion in our lives. It no longer rules over us, for the old nature has been put to death. And so that when we do sin, it's because we've made the choice to sin. But God in His mercy and grace has saved us. And so now as saints, we're given the ability to resist sin. Because Christ reigns in us, not sin. If Christ reigns in us, then we'll, have do, then we'll have dominion over sin and we can walk by His grace and walk on this way of holiness. We can resist temptation and we can resist sin. Relying heavily upon the grace of God, we must make that choice to resist sin. Secondly, we're enabled to walk because He's given us a perfect example. And Jesus simply called his disciples by saying, follow me. And again, and we looked at this this morning, if we're to follow him, we, we must deny ourselves. That is, put to death the old man and take up the cross and follow him. And as we follow Christ, we should walk the way in which he walked. He walked in perfect holiness. Again, we, we know we'll not be perfect in this life. But we're still called to follow the example of our Savior in obedience. And by His grace, He enables us to do so. Jesus was perfectly obedient to the Father's will, even to the point of death. And He calls us to follow in the very same way. Obedience leads to holiness. And it helps us to maintain our way by God's grace on the way of holiness. This following of Christ's example, empowered by His Spirit through grace, this striving for holiness and seeking a fuller and more complete victory over sin in our lives, is called progressive sanctification. That we have been made holy... But we must, over time, by the work of the Spirit in us, strive for more and more purity in our lives that we might better reflect that perfect image of Jesus Christ. Again, perfection won't come in this life. But that shouldn't dissuade us from striving and running the race set out for us. And friends, there should be a clear difference from the time when you first profess faith in Christ to, to the time where you are now. A clear difference of how you're walking in that way of holiness. If there's not, then you're not doing something right. And so we make this progress in holiness as we rely on the grace of God. The pursuit of holiness in our lives flows again from obedience to Christ and His commands. It comes from the thankfulness in our hearts for what he's accomplished for us. In Deuteronomy 28, uh, the Lord, uh, Moses, through the Lord, the Lord through Moses says, The Lord will establish you as a holy people to himself, just as he has sworn to you if you keep the commandments of the Lord your God and walk in his ways. We maintain holiness when we walk in the ways of God and obey his commands. But again, it's not done in our own strength. And again, this is what Peter mentioned in 1 Peter 1. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts, as in your ignorance, but as He who called you was holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. To be holy in our behavior. We must follow His commands that He's graciously given to us in His Word. But I want to remember these three things. They must be God's commands and not the commandments or the traditions of men. A being holy doesn't consist of just following a list of do's and don'ts that though they may be helpful and may even perhaps be prudent in themselves, but they are not commands of God like the Pharisees, many in the Christian church even today, obscure God's laws with various codes of, of dress and conduct that have no, biblical, no explicit uh, biblical command to back them up. And on these they establish their source and standard of holiness. I'm holy because I look a certain way. I'm holy because I do these things. No. But Christ alone is the source of our holiness and our obedience to his commands only displays that holiness. Also like the Pharisees, we need to be cautioned about honoring God with our lips when our hearts are far from him. We don't maintain holiness by going through the motions and and giving off appearances that are contrary to our hearts because then we would be hypocrites. And thirdly, we must remember that we must allow others the opportunity to grow in grace. And so we must be careful about giving off a a holier-than-thou attitude. And when people see our lives, they they should see love, compassion, kindness, gentleness, and goodness, and most of all, humility and thankfulness. And our desire to be holy. Not a sense of self-righteousness and thinking that we're better than others. The Spirit works sanctification in the lives of individuals at different rates of growth. And so we should strive then to encourage and build one another up rather than tear one another down. Just because someone's not as far advanced in their faith as we are doesn't mean that we should tear them down. And so we strive for holiness knowing that we won't be perfect in this life but that one day we will be perfect and we we will share in Christ's perfect holiness. But I have one final question for you to consider. Why is holiness so important? Why is holiness a basic of the Christian life that we need to get back to? Well, there's one very simple answer. In Hebrews 12, verse 14, the writer of the Hebrews says, Pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Brothers and sisters, if you desire to see God, if you desire to stand in His glorious presence forever, you can't do it on your own, by going your own way. Because any other way than the way God has given will lead to destruction. If you desire to see the holy city of Zion with joy and gladness, if you desire to see the holy Lord God, then there is one thing You need the holiness of Christ in your hearts. Evidence in your lives. By a separating away from sin. And a separating apart to God. The most holy God. Through his holy one. Enables us to walk the way of holiness. Truly may this, His Spirit give you the desire and empower each of you to be holy even as He is holy and to walk in this way of holiness all to the glory of God alone. Let's pray. O oh, gracious God in heaven, we rejoice and give thanks to You, Father, for this important reminder that it's because of the perfect Holy One, the Lord Jesus Christ, that we can even be here and enter into Your glorious and holy presence. Otherwise, we would be struck down. And yet we praise You and thank You that You've been so gracious toward us, that You have wrapped us in those holy and righteous robes of the Lord Jesus Christ, so that we can... Boldly enter into your throne of grace, into your presence, and to walk with you, to glorify and to serve you in all that we do. And Father, we just praise you and thank you also that you challenge us and you call us to be holy. Yes, we're declared holy. We're saints. We're holy ones. We're redeemed in Christ. But we're not yet perfect. There's still that remnant of this nature in us. And it's strong at times to even consume us and to overtake us. And so we pray that we would rely fully upon your grace to pursue holiness and to rest in what Christ has done for us and to serve your will and to obey your commands. To resist temptation. And to resist the devil. That he would flee from us. And that over time we pray that that holiness would grow more and more. As we are drawn closer and closer to that perfect and glorious image of Jesus Christ. Yet we know that it will not yet come. To that point of perfection. Until that last great day. And so we ask Father. Father. That even now you would hasten that day. Come quickly Lord Jesus. Because we so desire to see your holy presence. We so desire to be changed and transformed. To leave behind this cursed flesh. To be forever in your holy presence. With this fullness and completeness of joy. We pray that your spirit would truly be applying these truths to our hearts, drawing us all closer to yourself, that we might live to glorify your holy name. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.